to the Travel Squad podcast. We adventure the world together, one passport stamp at a time. We're here to share travel news, tips, and our own adventures with you. Every Travel Tuesday, we share stories on a variety of topics, including our hometown, San Diego, hiking, weekenders, national parks, international getaways, and inspiring you to go on your own adventures, even if it starts with your own backyard. I'm Jamal. Brittany. And I'm Kim. And And we're we're the the Travel Travel Squad Squad Podcast. Podcast. So grab your ticket and your passport. And don't forget your travel insurance. And prepare for takeoff. Welcome to this week's episode of the Travel Squad podcast. This week, we're giving you the scoop on visiting Mesa Verde National Park. It's located in the southwest corner of Colorado, and it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Mesa Verde is known for its well-preserved ancestral Pueblo cliff dwellings. For over 700 years, the ancestral Pueblo people built thriving communities on the Mesa and into the cliffs at Mesa Verde. Today, the park protects the rich cultural heritage of the 26 Pueblos and the tribes and offers visitors a spectacular window into the past. I am so glad that we went here. This park was on the top of my list for so long. I love ancient ruins. Y'all know they really get me going. And this park did not disappoint. It was just so amazing to walk among the 800 plus year old cliff dwellings exactly where the people lived and to see them so intact. That's what really blew me away. I recommend everyone visit this place and it's very affordable. Yeah, and we took this trip in August of 2020 and we met up with our hometown friend Robin. Yeah. And not to say she's not my friend. Of course she is. But I mean, you and Brittany go way back with Robin. I mean, junior high age, Mm -hmm. right? I think Kim's actually known her for longer than that. We started all being friends in junior high. So it's been like two full decades mm-hmm. of friendship for the three of us. But Kim's known her a little bit longer than I have. And I think that's really cool. So since I moved to Austin this year, you know, Robin always came to San Diego to visit us at least once a year. And so <laughs> this year I was like, Robin, instead of you coming to San Diego, why don't we meet somewhere? And that was a best friend tradition that I hope we continue year after year because it was so fun. I hope so, too. It was really fun. Like, Jamal and I flew in from San Diego. Robin flew in from like the Sacramento area of California. And then Kim flew in from Austin. But it was just nice that like all of our flights pretty much met up at the same time. They all landed around the same time, got to see each other and then just spend the weekend together. It was really a fun trip. I was really so stoked that Robin was able to make it. So shout out to Robin. I know you're listening, Robin. Shout out to you. (laughs) But, you know, I was really excited, like I said, that she came. But more importantly, we've been talking about Mesa Verde for a long, long time. And it's been like one of your number one I want to go to soon national parks. And they closed it for COVID and not like the rest of the national parks, like literally these cliff dwellings that are the highlight of Mesa Verde, where the indigenous Native Americans literally built cities and towns into the cliff itself. You need ranger guided tours. And because of COVID, like they had that close. So the park opened up, but you couldn't get any of the reservations to actually do the guided tours, which you don't want to go there and just look at it from the outside. You yeah. want to be there and actually make the hikes and climb the ladders to get to yeah. it, which we're going to talk about here coming up. And they did road construction too. Absolutely. So for a while, the road was even closed. Like during COVID, they were, I guess they said like, let's take this opportunity to improve the roads. So the roads were even shut down. So you couldn't get to some parts of the park. And if you were only able to see just a part of it, I feel like you'd be a little 
disappointed. So I'm really glad we waited until we did and it all worked out. But we're going to go ahead and start with the tips like we always do. Tip so we're first. Dive right in. And Jamal kind of touched into it. You do need ranger guided tours to see a lot of the cliff dwellings. And so you do need to book the tours in advance. So in order to do that, you have to go to recreation.gov create an account and just know that the reservations go on sale 14 days in advance and you want to book right on the dot right when they open the tickets because when I was trying to book the trip for us I was trying to book a tour and I got on the website right away and within seconds the tickets that I wanted sold out so I tried again which tour was it that sold out it was, I think, Cliff Palace that sold out. Like Cliff Palace is the major one. Mm-hmm. So it sold out within minutes. I couldn't even get us tickets for a Saturday. So I was like really bummed about it. But we just altered our plans and I booked the tickets for Sunday and it all worked out. Well, luckily for us, we we're going to be there two days to do it. But if you're only allotting one day, there you go. You can actually have a big fuck up that's not even your fault being there right on the dot and missing it. So Again, book the tour and be right on the dot when the time opens up for you to do it 14 days in advance. Another tip keeping with the reservations is be careful to not book your tours too close together, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the cliff dwellings are far away from each other. So you may think to yourself like, oh, okay, like I'm going to be done with this one. And 30 minutes is enough time for me to get to the next cliff dwelling. Well, not necessarily so. So do your research, find out which ones you want to do, how far it is from this one to that one. That way you can allot the appropriate time. Because if you miss your tour, I mean, you miss your tour. You're not getting on the next one or anything like that. In fact, one of our listeners, Ryan, he actually did go here and he was messaging us on Instagram about it, saying that he missed one of his tours because he booked them too close together and didn't realize that for some of them, there's actually a walk to the location once you get there. Mm-hmm. So you really do need to plan accordingly. Another tip that we have for you is although this national park is located in Colorado, Denver is not the closest airport. The closest major airport is actually the Albuquerque Airport in New Mexico. And then on a smaller airport side, Telluride is a smaller, closer airport as well. Guided tours run from the end of May to late October, but they don't all run at the same time. So again, as you're planning your trip, just know that these are the dates in which they have the tours, May to October, and sometimes certain cliff dwellings aren't available during the season. And you may be asking yourself, why May to October when it is hot as hell out there? Well, because in the winter, it's snowing and you Mm -hmm. can't get to these dwellings or it's really not safe to be climbing up a ladder when you're in the middle of a snowstorm. Another tip we have for you, of course, this is my favorite tip is to make sure you download the offline maps. Uh, We did lose cell reception in some parts. You don't have it well in the parks as well. So if you're going to want to navigate between one location in the park to the other, definitely download the offline map, select the area of which you want to download, and then you can navigate through the park just as if you had cell service. I'm surprised the download offline maps was this far down on the tips. It's usually right at the forefront of it. Yeah, but you know, those tours are so important. That's very, very true. And our final tip that we have for you guys, get an America the Beautiful Pass, which is going to be $80. And this is your good for one rolling year national park pass so that you can get into national monuments, national parks. It's National forests. National forests. 
it's $80 for the entire year. Otherwise, here at Mesa Verde, it's going to be $30 to enter for seven days, depending on the season. But, you know, for $50 more, why don't you get a little bit more bang for your buck? And I really say. I think it's 30 during the summer and 20 during the winter. About what it is. The cliff dwellings aren't available to see during the winter. And then also know that you do have to pay to enter the park. You also have to pay to reservation those tours. Yeah, the tours, though, aren't very expensive. They're about $8 per person, per tour, but then to enter the park itself, it's $30 on top of that, depending on the season. Worth it, though. Worth it. So we just went here on a weekend getaway, a little weekender for us. And so we all flew into Albuquerque on a nice Friday night. We picked up our rental car. Robin actually met us at the rental car pickup place. And actually, she got there sooner because we were having flight delay issues. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, Kim, Jamal, and I... Even though we were coming from different areas, we all met up to Vegas. So Kim actually had to fly from Texas to Vegas back to New Mexico, where Jamal and I flew from San Diego to Vegas to Albuquerque. So Friday night, we we got in kind of late. So we really just ended up booking a cheap hotel near the airport, crashing out for a few hours, literally a few I think getting up super early the next morning. Yeah. So as we were planning this trip, I was like, you know, what's the earliest we can get a cliff dwelling tour in? And I think we said, what was it like 1130 or something like that, which means we had to leave at 5 a.m. But because with the flight delays, we didn't get to sleep until like 1 Mm a.m. And we woke up at 4 a.m. Because from where we were in Albuquerque, it's about a four, four and a half hour drive to get to where we needed to be, more specifically the trailhead to the cliff dwelling is. And for this route, we were really close on time. So we had looked at the map, planned out exactly where we were going to stop to get coffee, to get breakfast, because there really wasn't that many places along the route. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip, Kim, because a lot of the times, like when you live in like large cities or California, you're like, okay, I'll stop at the next exit. Well, if you stop at the next exit in some of these places in New Mexico, there's nothing out there. So we had to look on a map in advance, like where's a town that actually has some gas, breakfast options, coffee options so that we could stop and like maximize the experience there. And we're like, okay, we got to be quick. We got to know like in and out, get what we want kind of thing. And then another tip, too, is if you map to Mesa Verde National Park, it'll put you at the park entrance. But to get to the tours, they're farther in. So from the park entrance to the actual cliff tour, it could be another 45 minute to an hour drive. Yeah, and that's a really good tip. And for how pressed for time that we actually felt, we ended up getting to the park earlier than anticipated. So we were going to do Cliff Palace first. But since we got there a little bit early, another cliff dwelling that was actually pretty close to that was going to be the Spruce Treehouse. So we actually parked in the parking lot there, got a view of it far away. We weren't able to actually go up to it or anything like that. But we just killed a little bit more time till we had our 1130 Cliff Palace tour. So the Cliff Palace tour is a 30 minute tour. And I stand corrected. We were doing Balcony House the next day. That's the tour that I had difficulties getting reservations for. So Cliff Palace, I was able to get those reservations. We had an 1130, but this tour is amazing. You start at the top. You can actually look down into the Cliff Palace ruins from above. So it's one that you can see from, I wouldn't say the roadside, but from a viewing point. Mm -hmm. You meet with the, the ranger and they tell you a little bit about the history of the park. A little bit about the history of the ancestral Pueblo people. 
about the safety that you need to do while you're down there and what to expect. And there's probably about, what, 30, 40 people on the tour about. And it was amazing. Like, just to be able to see the Cliff Palace, it's world famous. I mean, when you see pictures of Mesa Verde National Park, a lot of the times it is pictures of Cliff Palace. And I was going to say, just do yourself a favor. I feel like I say this a lot of times in episodes, but I give this tip because you really, really should to just get a better context of what we're talking about. Google Mesa Verde National Park. And you will see a plethora of photos of these cliff dwellings that we're talking about. And these are cliff dwellings where literally the Native Americans and ancestral Pueblo people, they literally built homes and towns into the cliff edges themselves. And here they are still standing. I remember on some of the tours they were saying like, Maybe one of the cliff dwellings is like 85% original, where another one is maybe 60 because they had to do restoration, this and that. But it doesn't matter. It still really gives you the sense of like, wow, like 800 years ago, like people were living this way. And on top of that, beyond even them just literally having cities and towns on there, they were talking about like the kivas, which they literally built holes below the ground. And they talk about how this is how they kept warm. And even during the hot times, it was actually cool in there and insulated. So it was like one temperature like year round. And they had all this smarts and know how to really build it with the insulation to keep it a temperate temperature. Like it just blows my mind that people were living like this. Like if I lived 800 years ago, I would hope to live like this. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. So I'm glad that we did this one first because... You can see it from the top. So mm-hmm. you're you're so excited. You We hadn't seen any uh, cliff dwellings yet. So it was amazing to see. And then I'm actually surprised that it was 30 minutes because it felt like longer. It did feel there. like longer. You do have plenty of time to walk through it. And, and then this one, you don't actually get to walk in the ruins. You mm-hmm. walk alongside them and you look at them. You get really good pictures. It's amazing. But I'm glad that we did this one first because as we go through the three tours that we did, they get increasingly better and you get to be more involved with them. So if this one was last, we would have been a little underwhelmed. I think so too. I think that's a really good point because we were only able to walk through them and in front of them and you can't really see all of the structures that they've made and the how the, the homes are built and all of that. But you do have some time to like enjoy it. And it's a quick one because it's not as big as some of the other ones but what's amazing is they did say that this was once home to like a hundred people so that is crazy to think about as well and at the very end there is a kiva so we did get to stand kind of on not on top of it but like around it and look down so that was really cool just being mindful though that for this tour you do have to be able to go down like staircases because you start from the top of the mesa and you go down and then to climb out you have to go up i think four ladders mm-hmm. and so if you have knee problems or you're not as mobile that could be a little difficult but really cool to see definitely worth it and a squad tip for you guys was a lot of people want to be in front because they want pictures without people but if you also stay towards the very back everyone walks ahead and then you have pictures to yourself because no one's behind you so that's a good squat tip for you guys Great tip yeah and all in all this 30 minute tour is only a quarter mile so again you have the steps down the ladders up and again you know you're just really walking along the edge of the dwellings when you're down there but obviously other tours which we'll get to later allow you the opportunity to get into the structure itself but it's still really cool as a, just an initial teaser at cliff palace to be down there and see it right in front of you. And again, tours July 1st to October 22nd. 
9 a.m. to 11.30, and 1 p.m. to 3.30, and tours are every half hour for Cliff Palace. So that goes back to the tip that we were talking about earlier. Not all of the dwellings run tours seasonally from that time that we said that they do. On this trip, we did three tours, and we're going to talk about all three, but there were other ones. So oh. if you're thinking about taking this trip, go on to the website and look at all the tours they have and. If you have more time than we did, too, do them all. There was one tour we didn't do called Mug Palace. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do that one if we had more time. Do you remember why it was called Mug Palace? I think it was Mug House. Mug House. Yes, yes, yes. And it was because of the wood that they used to make these two-story dwellings. Mm -hmm. The wood planks or wood beams, whatever they were, they stick out and then they hung all their mugs there. So I think actually when archaeologists found it, didn't they find like true native yeah. mugs that were still hanging it from it? It would have been there? cool to see. Yeah. I don't think they found any mugs still hanging, but I think in the ground they oh, found. They did. they did. Yeah. Find ones that were still hanging. Yeah. And they pictures online. And they've removed them now. So it still has the name, but you can't actually see them. But when they found them, you still had like ancient artifacts that were hanging there, which were their mugs or cups. In terms of history, 800 years is not that long. And especially because of how remote these dwellings are, I mean, you have to work to get to them. They said, the rangers there said that they're still uncovering artifacts today. And even walking on the pathway where anybody could walk, mm -hmm. they're finding shards of pottery Fire. and different artifacts. So cool. In times like that, I would want to be an archaeologist. Like, go explore, dig some things up. I would love to be an archaeologist. But yeah, it's so amazing, this national park. So the next tour that we took was called the Longhouse Tour. This tour is an hour long, and we booked it in the afternoon at 2.30. And I want to say that on the National Park website, they did have some guidelines saying, like, if you book Cliff Palace in the morning, book Longhouse, like, three to four hours later. And the reason why is because you have to drive to another section of the park. And then on top of that, you have to hike to the starting point. And the hike round trip to get there is 2.25 miles. So you have to take that into consideration on time. You have to park in the parking lot, go to the bathroom, do this hike, and then get to the starting point. So it takes a little bit longer to get there. And so just keep that in mind as you're planning this trip out. And I believe that this is the hike and the tour our fellow squatty was unable to complete. Oh, yes, Ryan. Yeah, this is the one he missed, unfortunately. So don't make that mistake. Give yourself plenty of time to get there and do the hike in. Yeah, again, the parking lot is far, and then you call it a hike, and yes, it is, but I would say it's more so a trail. It yes. is flat out there, but it takes a long time to walk from the parking lot to get there. And you can avoid doing it at 2.30. I would recommend that. Yes. And, you know, lucky for us, we actually got there a little bit early because, again, we wanted to adjust and make sure that we didn't miss it. And we got there when they were actually doing a briefing for the tour that was starting a half hour before ours. And they told us, oh, are you for the next tour? We said, yeah. They said, OK, sit over here. We were sitting in a nice little shaded spot. And after they gave the briefing, the ranger came up to us and was like, you know, we had a couple cancellations and no shows. Do you guys want to just tag along to this? So we got done earlier and got to get a, a half hour earlier, which was actually really, really cool. So that opportunity may present itself 
to you also. But uh, I was really stoked that we didn't have to sit there another half hour. And this is the second largest cliff dwelling in Mesa Verde National Park. So it's pretty big, feels pretty grand. And I did feel like it was more intimate than Cliff Palace because you get to really be among the structure and like really see different parts of it. So that was really cool. And you don't realize how big it is until you're in it. Right. Just looking at it, it looks amazing. It looks cool. But once you get in there... Like, they literally built walls and things behind things and two stories. So once you're in there, there's all these other passageways and you're going behind things and you feel like at one with the people that used to be there. Mm -hmm. You know what's really cool about these dwellings that they have is, and they were talking about it. I mean, to an extent, it's one of those weird things of nature, right? You could be in a place during summer that's so freaking hot and so dry, and then come winter, it's just barreled with snow and water and everything like that. Well, obviously, during the summer times, where are you actually going to get water? Well, they had a river running down at the bottom of the uh, canyon there, but these dwellings aren't built at the bottom. They're somewhere in between. So can you imagine? I mean, water's heavy, hiking it back up. But they built these in strategic locations to where they have what's called seep springs. So basically, the water would come down through the rock and it acts as a natural filter. And I forgot when it hits a different layer of type of rock, and I forgot which one it is, the water can't go through it anymore. So they have a natural filtered water system. And here, when we were at Longhouse, you could actually see it. Like everywhere around is like stone and kind of dry carved in there. And then all of a sudden, you saw like a line of green moss. And here's this active seep spring where they really still have water. So they built these in strategic locations also, and that was so interesting. And here, finally, we actually got to go into the dwellings themselves, climb into some of the windows itself, like stand onto the kivas, this and that. So it was really cool at Longhouse. What's crazy is we thought they were windows, but as we learn in the tours, their doors were actually very tiny passageways that look like windows. So it makes you think like, what size were people back then? I guess they're pretty small. Small, (laughs) small, like five foot and under sometimes, no more than five, five, you know. How did we get so tall? Well, not us, Brittany, but how'd you get so tall? Uh, (laughs) Diet change and having everything so readily available to eat is really kind of what did it for everybody. Another thing, too, is you start, again, at the top of the mesa. This is Weatherill Mesa. And then you kind of hike down. And as you're hiking down, you see this beautiful view of the canyon below. And it would just be so amazing to live there. Like, the view that they had year-round must have been so incredible. As much as I was looking at the cliff dwellings, I was also looking at the landscape beneath them and around them. And what just like a serene place to to be. And they said that the drought that they had way back when that kind of caused them to migrate is the similar drought to what they're experiencing now. So what we saw when we were there is pretty much what they would have saw when they were there. Yeah. So crazy history, how it repeats itself in some ways. Yeah. Did, were these ancient ruins enough to get you like really juiced up, Kim? Oh, I was going. Yeah. Because, you know, when we think ancient ruins, you think like in other countries and stuff like that, maybe larger like temples and pyramids. And even though, I mean, these are large, not necessarily on the scale we think of when we think of like international stuff, mm-hmm. but it was still so impressive. Like my juices were even flowing on this one. I was just like, man, but like it just trips me out to see the ingenuity of people back in the day and what they did to survive. And it's like mind blowing when you're here. You really get to appreciate it. And as we're talking about it, I'm not going to lie. 
you know, the Rangers do it so much more justice to go into such great detail of exactly, you know, what it is that they had to do to build these and also kind of put you in the mindset of like, imagine you're somebody living 800 years ago and really putting it into perspective. And that's half the fun of this national park too, is really like not even just the scenery, but like immersing yourself into thinking like, yeah, what would I have done? How would I have been really intriguing? This site was, they said, potentially used for parties too, or ceremonies or whatever, because it had a big space, a flat space. Mm -hmm. And then in the center of it, they had what looked like it was a fire pit. Right. And so they were talking about could have been weddings or harvest festivals or whatever else but it was cool it was really cool to sit there and just be like this is what they would have been doing right here yeah and heads up this tour as we said is an hour long but they do tours every half hour so eventually by the time you get down to the dwelling there'll be another tour at the very end of it for you so you kind of share the space but it's so large down there that you don't really feel like you're overlapping with people. So just do definitely keep that in mind. And, you know, what a great first day seeing those two cliff dwellings for us. And so when we were done, we were like, all right, obviously we're leaving the park itself. And we stayed in Cortez, Colorado for the night. And that's the biggest city that you're probably going to want to stay at if you're going to Mesa Verde National Park. And by this time, we had worked up an appetite. We had gotten up at 4 a.m., we were leaving the hotel by 5 a.m. We had quite the drive. We had stopped for breakfast. We kind of picked some stuff up to like help hold us over. There is a place to eat within Mesa Verde National Park. And they had pretty good options. They did have pretty good options. But we wanted to wait until we had dinner um, in Cortez. And we were looking online. And we were looking and eyeing Thai Cortez. And let me tell you, it was so worth the wait. Oh, the yeah. drunken noodles and the curries were so delicious. My God, it w it like really hit the spot. You know, yeah. You know what's really funny is that sometimes when you're in certain places, you're like, is this type of cuisine going to be good here? We've had Thai in some of the most random small cities. Mm -hmm. And in those places, they have not disappointed, have they? Yeah. I feel like Thai is probably one of the most consistent. Although I will say this, when you have bad Thai, you have bad Thai. But like Thai in a small city, we've actually been pretty good. Ironically, the shitty Thai that we've had has been in larger cities. I've never really had. I, I don't know if I've ever had shitty Thai. I don't know if that's possible. Peru? But I was going to say <laughs> the, the least appetizing of Thai, which is always good, was in Cusco, Peru. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. So if you're staying in Cortez, go to Thai Cortez. Honestly, really, really good Thai. You won't be disappointed. It was absolutely delicious. I made a joke in our notes for this episode that this episode was sponsored by Wendy's. It's not sponsored by Wendy's, but we did go to Wendy's that night and got Frosties for dinner and for dessert. For dessert. Yeah, not for dinner. Well, we were all so tired from getting in late, waking up early, and we actually brought our microphone to record an episode with Robin when we were there. Not about Mesa Verde because we had one more day. But we were like, fuck, do we even have the energy to record? And we were all just like so tired. We're like, all right, let's go get a sugar high. We're going to go get our Frosties from Wendy's. And so we ended up doing that after dinner. And you know what I really love about some places that are geared towards tourism like Cortez because the National Park is there. I loved the hotel that we were actually staying at. The room itself was fine. Nothing like great. Wasn't bad. But it was a really cool pool area yes. that we went to. Like 
indoors because again during winter it's going to get really cold but it had like a wooden theme of like rustic atrium and we ended up going down and going to the hot tub that Heart night hot tub. yeah like it was no, really, we had to really share nice. so a lot, whole lot, lot of other people what was the name of that hotel oh gosh baymont by wyndham cortez and we would recommend it. It was a good price, had a great pool, rooms were decent, had a breakfast buffet. Woo-woo. Although I will say the breakfast buffet wasn't necessarily the best, but still a breakfast buffet. They did have it going for them. Pancake machine and waffle machine. Yeah, they have the... That's pretty, That's pretty much all they had, though. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, then on top of that, like they had really packaged like pastry. So it's a little bit of a sugar overload, yeah. but like you could make do with it a little bit, but do keep that in mind. Hey, squatties, let's take a quick detour to talk about our travel itineraries that we've created just for you. We just launched several new international trip itineraries, including Tulum and Japan. This is on top of the itineraries we already have for U.S. trips like the Hawaiian island of Kauai, the U.S. Virgin Islands, as well as national park trip itineraries, including Utah's Mighty Five National Parks and a week in Grand Teton and Yellowstone. These fully built out 20 to 30 page PDF guides are available for instant download on our site right now. Every detail of the trip is laid out for you. So all you have to do is download, book, show up, and have fun. The itineraries tell you where to fly into, the exact route to take, where to stay, park entrance prices, where to eat, driving distance between attractions, the things to see and do, even the hikes we recommend, their mileage, and the time to allot for each one. And believe it or not, so much more. Be sure to head over to TravelSquadPodcast.com to download your very own comprehensive travel itinerary today. So let's talk about Sunday. What did we do the next day? We went back to Mesa Verde. Yeah, we did go back because we were set on doing those three tours. And this is the tour that I tried to book on Saturday. Couldn't get the tickets. So then I was like, all right, we're going to switch gears and book this for Sunday. And this was the Balcony House tour. This, again, was a 60-minute tour. And because we had some time constraints in terms of getting back to Albuquerque to drop Kim off at the airport, we needed to do this first thing in the morning. So the only time slot we could really do this at was the first one, which was 9 a.m. And again, all of the tours are $8 per person. At the time of this recording, I don't know if in the future they'll raise them or not, but that was like the current price. Pretty affordable. If you can only do one tour at Mesa Verde, make it this one. Absolutely. I would say so. And why are we saying that? I think this description of Balcony House is taken verbatim from the National Park website. So I'm just going to let you know. Balcony House is one of the most adventurous in the park and not for the faint of heart. You know, we like to be descriptive, but I know that's not our own text right there. So I took from the National Park website. We don't want to be caught for plagiarism. (laughs) No, I know. So that's why I'm letting you guys know. But it's true. Yes. You will scale the face of a cliff via several tall ladders, squeeze your way through a narrow tunnel on your hands and knees, and explore some of the passages used over 800 years ago. Now, when they say crawl through a narrow space they mean it you could only leave crawling through that you have to climb up what like several 25 foot ladders to get to the top things online saying 60 plus foot ladders and we were kind of freaking out but it's not 60 feet 32 32 foot ladder but when you do the cliff phase it's a 60 foot ascend to the top so I think that's, we were kind of mixing it up in our heads and Robin was kind of freaking out well doesn't like heights it feels like 60 feet when you're on it 
Well, yeah, because they're kind of like little narrowly carved like steps on the cliff side and everything like that. So that portion is not ladders. I'm surprised you handled that well because I know you don't like heights, but it still makes you like you feel safe in there because it's not like a sheer edge and you have something to hold on to. But those ladders are obviously like wide open. But it's just one of those fun, exciting things because you even think about it. Like if we need a ladder to get here, what type of ladder did the ancestral Pueblo people build themselves to do this? And this is like their daily activity, climbing up, climbing down. I have to bring resources, food, water, mm -hmm. if there wasn't any in those natural springs that they had there at that time. So challenging life nonetheless. So this was my favorite, not only because of the location of it, but I really liked the guide that we had on this tour, Nicole, because when we got to the site where we're going to climb up the ladders, she asked for permission to like go up into the ancestral Pueblo structures. And she was like, you know, we just really want to respect the space and like give thanks for allowing us to be here. And I really liked that. I felt like she was super knowledgeable because she wanted to know about it. So she had done like research where I feel like some of our other guides, you'd ask questions, you'd get a more general response. But her responses were like she had really thought about it and learned about it. And she shared that knowledge with us. So I did really like that. I like that too. And none of our guides were descendants of the ancestral Pueblo people, but the descendants still do come back to these dwellings and these areas in the cliffs and kind of, I don't know exactly what they do, but they honor it. They respect it. They come here for connection to their ancestors. So it, it's still very much today a major part of this culture even though they've migrated on. And the tours there, they, I think they only offer three tours per day, which is why that they sell out so quickly because everyone is fighting for those three tour time slots. But as Kim said, if you're going to do one, you only have time for one tour, this is the one to do. So let's take them through the tour. Like, let's bring them on the tour with us. You get in there, you're standing at the very beginning of the tour. Our guide has asked for permission and kind of made it this spiritual moment. Mm -hmm. And then you begin. So you're standing at the bottom of the double wide ladder. A 32 foot ladder. Looking up 32 feet to the top. It's like vertical. It's not even angled either, really, you know, to help you. It's a straight climb up. Yep. And then it's just one after the other after the other. And we were in the front. We were. So it was you and Robin in the front, right? I climbed first, actually. Oh, then Brittany and Robin. Brittany and Robin. I was right behind Robin. It's going. We're going up. I'm getting a little nervous. Robin's right in front of me, though, so I can't go any faster than she's going. Right. And she's going a little slow. She's slowing down. The dollar up we get. <laughs> and when we get almost to the top, Robin's getting a little shaky. and She's really slowing down. And it's starting to make me panic a little bit. I'm just like, hurry up, Robin, go. I'm freaking out. <laughs> We had to encourage her a little bit, like, hey, Robin, just got a few more. <laughs> she made it. She made it up there. And so then once you get to the very top, you stand up and you start to see, like, why it's called Balcony House, really, because it is on a cliff edge and they've built this wall, like a retaining wall. It was way. built by the ancestral Pueblo people. Mm -hmm. And that surprised me. It was a beautiful wall. Yeah. And so it's like a halfway up retaining wall, but you have just, like, gorgeous views, like you were on a balcony in the middle of nature overlooking the canyons mm -hmm. vast canyon and then they do have uh, a few rooms and the rooms and kim like kim said they look like windows but they're actually doorways and so you can poke your head in and just kind of look around they do say like be mindful of what you touch because 
if you are touching things with your hands, your hands have natural oils, which disrupts the the structures and breaks them down. So you want to look and not really touch. But we got to see a lot of the area. And then when we were all up there, she kind of gave us more information about Balcony House and the people that live there. And they do think it was a smaller family that lived there rather than some of the larger cities. So this was more of an intimate private setting. And they were speculating why a family would have settled here because it's very hard to get up there. So if you're carrying food, water, whatever, it's that much harder on you. And it also had some areas where it looked like it was fortified. So either they were trying to keep people out or maybe they were exiled from the regular larger areas. There was even, and a lot of the houses had evidence of suit. Mm-hmm. From the fire scarring on the cliffs and so you could see this room had a fire and so they were here for warmth or cooking but there was one on this one that was just black everywhere so it was either maybe an accident because the flame got very very hot and you could tell from the scarring or it was on purpose mm-hmm. so it made you think there could have been some conflict with this particular family it's one of those things like i was saying you know you just really wonder how people lived and not even just the natives as a whole in this region, but even the individual's story when they're there, right? And I just love when nature and history collides in some sort of way like that. It was really, really awesome. So for sure, definitely do the Balcony House. Again, it is the to-do tour at Mesa Verde if you're going to go. And tours run from July 1st to October 22nd, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 1 p.m. So those are the three slot times that they do have for you on this one and why it's really tough to get. So make sure if you're going and want to do this one, you're on it on that recreation.gov. So we haven't finished the tour though. I want to tell them about the other crazy parts of it. So you're up there in the balcony. You spend some time up there. You kind of go behind the homes Uh to exit. And so as you go through one passageway, another huge area opens up. So there's more back there than you can actually see. You go in and then... In order to exit, you actually, if you're short like us, you can do it crouching on your feet. But if you're tall like Jamal, you really have to get on your hands and knees. You kind of crawl. My hands and knees hurt my shins a little bit, you know. <laughs> we have some videos we'll post of popping out of the hole. But it's a tiny hole that you come through. You finally get out. But that's not all. Nope. <laughs> to really ascend out, then you have to go on this side of a cliff where those kind of carved out foot areas are. Which would have been extremely scary, just like Angel's Landing at Zion. But they had built in kind of like a fenced, wired area. So it was more safe. And if Angel's Landing is listening, can you please do that? Because then maybe I would hike around land. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you would. Not too sure, though. But that was a really amazing tour. And I think it was a great note to end on and a great yeah. tour to end on. Like, cause yeah. that for us, I feel like was the highlight. And the two tours that we did the previous day were just like little appetizers. We didn't know it at the time until we got to Balcony House. It worked out for a reason. Yeah, it really did. And then we mentioned there are other tours. So Mug House was one of them that would have been really cool. Yeah, and Mug House only runs for like a month from like May to June. So if that's one that you look at and you're like, this is the one I want to do, definitely make sure you're booking to go during that time that they offer it. And then Square Tower House is another one that they have. Those two, Mug House and Square Tower House, they're longer tours. They're like 90-minute tours versus the 30-minute and hour tours that we did. Yeah, so lots of options to do in the park. You can see them all. 
You can see the, the highlights of which ones you want to do and plan accordingly to that. But that was our experience at Mesa Verde, and we absolutely loved it. And I would definitely go back, probably try to squeeze in one of these other tours and Balcony House again. That is for sure. But when we were done that day, I think Brittany alluded to it earlier, we had to drop Kim off because you were flying home. Brittany and I were continuing on a little bit. Robin was also flying home that day, but she had a later flight. So we drove back to Albuquerque, dropped you off at the airport, said sayonara to you, Kim, is really what we did. If you have more time, something we were trying to squeeze in, but it just wasn't going to work, was going to Four Corners. Yeah. Which is the one point in the country that touches four states in one monument. Utah, Colorado. Arizona, New Mexico. There you go. We could have done it if we woke up really early on Sunday and did it. It was about an hour drive from Cortez. But after looking at pictures online, it didn't look very sensational, so it wasn't worth the time. But if you, if you have the time and you can make it, I would do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's one of those like moments where you're like, oh, I'm in this place and you want to do it. But because of the time constraints we had, we just couldn't really fit it in at that point. If I was driving through that area again, sure, absolutely. I would stop there at the monument. If I was 24, I would have woke up at 4 a.m. or just stayed up all night and went. Maybe. <laughs> that and uh, Kim may not have done an early flight back home that day to cause hey, it. Blame Southwest for their <laughs> shitty schedule. Look at who's doing all-nighters now. <laughs> and actually, oh my God, the whole Southwest debacle. I did get an, a later flight booked, remember? Yes, but then they they canceled, they it. canceled it and they gave me the runaround. And then I was like, all right, here we go. Still recovering <laughs> from COVID flight schedules, I think, is really what's going on. But anyway, we did drive back to Albuquerque, drop you off the airport. Robin was flying home that day also. And again, Brittany and I were extending our trip a little bit. But Robin's flight wasn't until later, so she stayed with us. And 15 minutes from the Albuquerque airport is Petroglyphs National Monument. So just right outside of Albuquerque. And it's basically the largest petroglyph site in North America. And if, again, you don't know what petroglyphs are, they're pretty much, when we think of like cave drawings in there, these are like outside on rocks for you to see of what Native Americans used to to write. Maybe it's their written language, their images and stuff, but still really cool to see just like outside of Albuquerque. And there are some homes that we can see. And oh, in the backyard, here's a national monument and here's petroglyphs just on these rocks. So we ended up cool. going and experiencing that. And how long did you spend there? We spent an hour there because they actually closed there. The one area we went to was called Boca Negra Canyon and it was closing pretty early. I think it was open until 4.30. So the last entry was 4 p.m. And so we got to spend about an hour there. And in that area, there's three small trails. But if you go on all three of the trails, you can see about a hundred different petroglyphs in that area. Wow. I, I read about this area because it's one of the areas where the petroglyphs are most compact in terms of like distance you have to go. So we went there and it was really cool, worth seeing. And parking's only like one to two dollars if you're visiting or you can use your America the Beautiful Pass. And it's free. Yeah, but otherwise, if you don't have the America the Beautiful, yeah, it's one or two dollars depending on date and season. But why I really like petroglyphs is... I think to myself, and I guess this goes back to what we were talking about, about Mesa Verde. What are these people trying to tell us? Were they drawing and writing these things yeah. just because? Or were they leaving this for future generations of what? And it's like, what is this? Like, honestly, without getting conspiratorial, 
some of that stuff looks like aliens. Some of the stuff you could <laughs> clearly tell are like actual animals and yeah. birds that are native to the region. But Well, I like, wonder, do we have any sense of what the translation might be? I don't know. I don't think they're like hieroglyphs like in Egypt where it was kind of an alphabet and this is this and that. I mean, these are literally just straight Maybe images, just at least to our artists. knowledge. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. But it's like, <laughs> what are they drawing like on these ones? What is this supposed to be? And it's so intriguing to see. So definitely do check it out if you're in the Albuquerque area. Why not do it? It's one of those things, you know, it was hot during that time, but we went kind of late afternoon at that point, so it was semi-cooler. But again, short little trails, everything's compact, so easily doable. And then at that point, we dropped Robin off at the airport. And the funny thing about this weekend was this weekend was very significant on two ends. One, it was the weekend anniversary of the podcast launch Woo! three years three years and it's also jamal and i's wedding weekend as well so it's our anniversary Woo! weekend we were celebrating how many years jamal seven no no i'm just kidding <laughs> i was gonna say seven what are you talking about seven mary 15 seven together mary. together yeah oh, i'm just kidding <laughs> so we decided to stay an extra day and keep with the theme of celebrations and celebrations and seeing other monuments of like ancestral Pueblo people. So we did a night in Santa Fe and we had a really nice dinner at like this coyote cantina. We had these amazing green chili enchiladas mm. and prickly pear margaritas. Mm. It was really good. If you haven't been to Santa Fe, it was very interesting and I would recommend going. A lot of people really, really love it. I wouldn't say like I'm of that. I liked it and we were in the area, but lots of people make special trips, sometimes even compared to like Sedona mm. in some sort of way. But what I mean by that is just like the feel for the town. You can really go there. You have that Southwest architecture, mm. small, quaint. Really what there is now is a lot of kind of like museums and food and stuff like that. So it makes for a nice, mellow place to stay. And I really enjoyed that aspect of the quaintness of Santa Fe. So not too far off from Albuquerque. So all we really did was by the time we got there, have time for dinner, go to bed. But close to Santa Fe is Bandelier National Monument. So this is where we kept with that theme that Brittany was talking about, about more cliff dwellings and petroglyphs. So why don't you tell them a little bit about Bandelier, Britt? So it's only about an hour away from Santa Fe. And you might be thinking, you already saw Mesa Verde National Park. Why would you want to continue on? But this was a different type of cliff dwelling for sure. And it's a national monument. So you do have to pay $25 for the entrance or use your America the Beautiful Pass. And but that's free. That's free. And it's actually pretty popular, popular enough for them to have a shuttle system to take you there. So if you go between like nine and three, between the high season, which is like May to September, you have to take the shuttle. You were there on a Monday. How busy was it? Well, we got into the park before that time. And so if you drive in before nine o'clock, you can drive up and park. When we were actually in the park, it was not busy at all. But, it was a Monday and it was early. But by the time, even for Monday that we were leaving, a couple shuttle buses came in and they were full. Mm, they yeah. were full. Wow. And so we did a few trails. We did the Alcove House Trail and it took us past this village and a little bit different than Mesa Verde because this land is flat, but you can see where they built a village just kind of like in a meadow area, I'd say. Right. And you can see the Kivas even too. And again, the Kivas are the underground homes of where people actually slept. They designed them in such a way that they had natural airflow, kept a consistent temperature year-round, and even that is mind-blowing. But then you can see the remnants, like Brittany said, of the actual building structures that are above ground, 
and things like that. But again, that was in the meadow, but there are more cliff dwellings, if you will, again, not as grand as Mesa Verde, built into the canyon edge that you're walking right along. And so they have three main ones on the the trail that you can actually climb one ladder up and then just like sit in these dwellings and like look out which was really cool we had those all to ourselves but the third one was closed and this really makes me upset it was closed because of vandalism oh like the sign even said do not enter and they had had it boarded up and like this is closed because somebody vandalized it like protect our parking like what the fuck is wrong with people that's sick you know i've been wanting to go to sayulita for the little baby turtle release and i've been seeing on their instagram they've been posting people are coming overnight and opening the boxes and destroying the nest like what the fuck is wrong with people why like why why would people do those things that's so mean like respect nature respect animals respect history yeah, so we couldn't go into the third one, but then we had to do a long walk. And then the long walk had these, what they had called also long house. But we saw petroglyphs along the cliff wall and then literally apartments carved into the cliffs as well. So you would see like a base layer where they'd have the little window doors. And then on top of that, they would have like another set of window doors. And they were like, these were like ancient apartment styles. <laughs> That's so, that, so cool. That was really cool too. And then the highlight of the Alcove House Trail is the Alcove House. And so this one, you have to climb up. You have to work for this one because it's 140 feet above the canyon floor. And so you literally, you, there's lots of ladders. There's lots of climbing up. I think there's like four wooden ladders to get you up there. And so... Tall ones too. But... And and they only let, I want to say, 15 people in that area at one time because the ladders can get congested. The little trail is like all along a cliff edge. And so there's like railing there. So it's very tight. So you have to be careful as you're walking that. But that was definitely the highlight of this trail. And when we got to the top, we had it all to ourselves. We had it all to ourselves. And what's unique about it is there's a kiva up there. There is a kiva up there that's pretty well intact and everything like that. And so... It's one of those things that are like, well, this is so high up compared to the rest of this. Was this like an outpost that people looked to see? Is anybody else coming? And what was unique about this area is even though it's like desert vibes and kind of like, yeah, you're in New Mexico, you're at a high enough elevation too that this is a forested area. There's even bears there. Like I wouldn't think, oh, bears, New Mexico. We didn't see any, of course, but like it's just a different environment and it's really kind of impressive, but think about it i mean 140 feet up four ladders how tall is each ladder to get yourself up like 140 feet to get to that area but really awesome experience at bandelier national monument i enjoyed it if somebody's not going to make the far drive if they're in new mexico and the albuquerque santa fe area to go all the way to mesa verde i would say for sure take a half day and go to bandelier this was really cool too there was a ranger on the at the bottom, and he had pictures of what they think that the homes look like up in the alcove before they were destroyed naturally. And so it was really cool to see like what they think things look like back then and how they really use the structure. And the kiva, they did reconstruct it, so it did have an intact roof. I saw that on your picture, and so that was reconstructed. It was reconstructed, and they have the ladder that goes down, but we didn't see that in Mesa Verde. All of the kivas yeah. that we saw were completely open. Mm -hmm. So we had a different perspective. What I really liked too about this when we were at the Alcove house is the ranger that Brittany's talking about 
what a unique kind of like story. And you can tell he was interested and invested in it, obviously, because he himself was Native American and a descendant of these people. So when we were at Mesa Verde and Brittany was saying, oh, Nicole, obviously she's not an ancestral Pueblo descent, but like she had that passion. But then it was so exciting here at Bandelier to see that passion of the ranger who happened to actually be a descendant of these people. Well, and they were also talking in Mesa Verde and at Bandelier that they were always meant to move and they were never meant to stay in one spot. And they thought that they were going to go south towards the Rio Grande River. And so this was kind of like along that path. And so it could be descendants that were from the Mesa Verde eventually made it here and then continued south. They do look different, though. Yeah. And that, but I guess. With time as well. Time and then you kind of adapt to the environment that you're working with. But for how often they move, they, they built really massive structures quickly. Mm-hmm. I think they're invested in a spot for like 100, 150 years before they kind of like really move on. And you have maybe like four or five generations of that time that kind of go. But yeah, they, they were unsure then. That's exactly what they said. People from Mesa Verde may have just been coming south and this was it. And they didn't need to build it that grand because this area is in the middle of kind of a narrow canyon. So they were able to build it on the flatland, but obviously mm-hmm. certain smaller structures that are just literally holes in the wall at that point of what they made as their cliff dwellings within Bandelier. So when we were at Mesa Verde, everyone kept saying Rio Grande. I know. I thought it was Rio Grande. I thought it was Rio Grande, too. (laughs) Have we been saying it wrong our whole life? No, it's just however you want to say it, because, I mean, it comes from Spanish. You say grande in Spanish, right? So just, I guess, in English, just Rio Grande, you know, because sometimes in French uh, and other languages, when you have the E, like it's silent. So it's Rio Grande, you know, however you want to say it. We're not saying it. Well, it, it was the ranger. So I was like, okay, the rangers wouldn't be saying it inaccurately. Could say however you want to say. Technically, <laughs> technically, the non the first non-native language in that area was Spanish, and it's Rio Grande. Who's right? Weigh in on our Instagram poll. <laughs> yeah. But all in all, that was our trip, Kim. I'm disappointed you and Robin missed Bandelier's portion. Actually, although I am too. Now that I've heard about it, I I didn't want to take any PTO. I was like, I'm just gonna get back, and I kind of wish I went to Santa Fe with y'all. What yeah. now, now you have an excuse to go to Santa Fe, spend a weekend, and go to Bandelier? Yeah. Ooh, I have to time it for the hot air balloon situation. They have oh, there. for oh, the yeah. festival. What a good idea. What that would good be a idea. great weekend. Well, I think, Kim, I think we're at your favorite part of the episode. Woo! Questions of the week. Question number one. How many days do you need to explore Mesa Verde? I really think that this has a lot of different answers. If you're just there for one day, you could do a few tours in a day and you could really get a feel for it. Again, we said if you're only going to do one tour, it's going to be the Balcony House tour. But if you want to stay for longer, you could spend a few days exploring different areas of the park. We were there for two. Really, it was more like one and a half, I'd say, with the amount of time we actually spent in the park. And we felt like that was pretty sufficient for what we wanted to see and what we did. But everyone has different travel preferences. If you want to do other tours, do other hikes, see other things, you could spend more time in the park. Yeah, and I think two days would be fine. If you do two, try to do Cliff Palace and Balcony House on the same day because they're right next to each other in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. So that could help you be more efficient with your time if you can get those tours and beat out the rest of the people. Question number two. 
can I just go to Mesa Verde and explore the Pueblo dwellings myself, or do I have to have a ranger guided tour? We kind of hit on this earlier as we were talking, but most of them you do need a ranger guided tour. We had briefly talked about Spruce House, I believe, and that one you were previously able to do a self-guided tour however i think they had some rock damage just naturally and so they did close it off yeah and i was gonna say you you cannot explore that one independently now but the dwellings that you really do want to do and want to see are the ones that are the ranger guided but there may be one or two where you can just kind of get in there but they're not going to be the impressive ones and again one of the main ones spruce treehouse closed because of destruction to some degree of the rocks naturally falling and it's for your own safety to keep you out of there there are different viewpoints there's a lot of different viewpoints so if you're someone that is unable to do the ladders because of knee issues or too hot or you don't want to there's still things you can see Mm -hmm. so if you're considering like do it or don't do it yeah i did hear from another park ranger when we were at actually a different national park they said that they think mesa verde national park It is one of the most photographic national parks in the U.S. And I would have to agree. Like, it is very photogenic. I took a lot of pictures. And we will be posting all of those pictures on our website. For every episode, we put up a blog post where we recap what we did. We have the whole transcript to the episode and all of the pictures from our trip. So just go to travelsquadpodcast.com slash episodes and you can find this one there when it comes out. All right, squaddies, thank you so much for tuning into our episode this week. Keep the adventures going with us. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube at Travel Squad Podcast and tag us in your adventures. If you found the information in this episode to be useful or if you thought we were just plain funny, please be sure to share it with a friend that would enjoy it too. And as always, please subscribe, rate and review our podcast, and tune in every Travel Tuesday for new episodes. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We have some more amazing adventures and tips in store for you. Bye, Bye, squaddies.